time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and of the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with the power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all this has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to this portion of your holy word, uh, a portion that is in many ways difficult, uh, Lord, we pray that you would give us clarity and wisdom. Uh, Lord, we pray that, that you would, uh, through your spirit, uh, illume our hearts, illume our understanding, so that as we leave this place, we will have seen Jesus, uh, and Lord, that we will have bowed in your presence and truly worshiped you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, often uh, when my children say something sort of snarky, and they do that quite often, or uh, when they get close to, to kind of crossing the behavioral line, I will say something to them like, hey, you better watch yourself. Just sort of as a warning shot, sort of as a reminder of the consequences that that could soon come. Uh, For example, recently, uh, unbeknownst to Renee and I, our sweet little daughter, our sweet little girl, she has watched a video, uh, and it's a video of a life-sized owl named Hootie. Now, apparently, Hootie is not a very nice owl. Uh, because he or she goes around during uh, the day and do, does mean things to people, like knocks groceries out of old ladies' hands and goes and steals candy out of candy stores. And when confronted with all of these nefarious deeds, his band of miscreants comes out and they sing these words. Who? Who? Who do don't care? Now, keep that in mind, because you can imagine my surprise... When one day, again, with no knowledge of Hootie at all, I asked my daughter to do something, and she looked at me and she said, Who? Who? Hootie don't care. And I said, Excuse me? And she said it again, and it continued on for a while, and after about the fifth time, after me trying to figure out who Hootie was and why Hootie didn't care, I said, Girl, you better watch yourself. Getting back to the point, it was a warning that while Hootie might not care, Sarah Grace better care (laughs) Uh, before it was too late. Now, I tell you all of that this morning because as we turn to this passage here in Luke 21, back to what we began last week, uh, what we read here are those exact words coming from the lips of the judge of all creation. 
Uh, remember, as we saw last week, Jesus is pointing us ahead to the future in this passage, uh, not primarily to give us every detail of what is to come, not to give us every detail of how it will come, uh, but he's doing it so that we will know the sure reality that, that it is coming, that he is coming, and that it might affect, it might have changed the way that we live today. And there in verse 34 that we read, as he kind of sums up all of this teaching, as he kind of brings it all to a head there, he says, but watch yourselves. In other words, be on guard. Guard your hearts. Guard your minds. Be ready to stand on that day when the Son of Man returns. Now we're going to find uh, that that while Jesus says that and in everything leading up to it, that that phrase, watch yourselves, it's really sort of a two-sided coin. On the one hand, it is a great warning to those who scoff at the idea of Christ's return. It's a great warning to any of us who think lightly of this coming judgment to those who live life for themselves, to get all of the pleasures, the things that they can get now. To those types of people, Jesus is saying here, as I did to Sarah Grace, you better tighten up. You better get ready before it's too late. That the consequences, the judgment that Christ reveals, it's on the horizon. And it's sure, we're going to see that in just a moment. On the other side of the coin... This is a sort of enthusiastic exhortation uh, to those of us who are God's people. Uh, Like last week in verse 19, this is a call to endure. This is a call to persevere, even in the face of all Christ proclaims here. You know, rather than being overwhelmed, rather than living in fear, we can, with sober-minded strength, with sober-minded assurance, await the coming day of our Lord, the day where he will judge both the living and the dead. The question for each of us today is which side of the coin are you on? Will you be able to stand when Christ returns? Well, for those who have ears to hear and the self-awareness to honestly look at our hearts, our reaction to all that Jesus reveals leading up to verse 34 it's going to show us a lot about where we stand. You know, how we react to, to the, the coming judgment, how we react to all of these terrible things that Jesus is going to show us. It will give us a good idea this morning if we are ready or not. And so with the time we have left, I want to look at these verses and I want us to consider this coming day of judgment. So let's look at it together. The first thing in this passage you see uh, is that the day of judgment will be a terrible day of God's vengeance. A terrible day of God's vengeance. You see that in verses 20 through 24. Now you'll recall last week uh, that we said it's important to remember anytime we approach biblical prophecy to remember that it can have a dual, sometimes even a triple application, right? Uh, We know that in context, Jesus was saying these things. All of the prophets were saying the things that they said to their immediate audience. It had purpose in the context of when it was said. And we need to keep that in mind because generally that's a good key. It's sort of an indicator of what 
it means to us today and what it will mean for the future. But we also saw that, that often biblical prophecy will point us ahead to what Jesus, to his redemptive work, right? And then finally, as we see here today, generally biblical prophecy also points us ahead to the end, to the end times. And so I gave you the example of Isaiah, and we don't have to go through all of that again, but you remember that that book is about exile. Uh, those people will soon face exile. It's a, a book about the suffering servant who is to come, about Jesus, and it's a book about the day of the Lord this final day of judgment. So there's a threefold application in the book of Isaiah. And here we certainly have at least a double application as Jesus points us ahead to the destruction of Jerusalem there in 20 through 24. Um, and what I want you to see here uh, is, is as he gives these words, not only would God allow his place of worship, the, the place, the, the temple, not only will he allow it to be destroyed, but he is going to bring judgment on the whole city of David, the city of kings, the city of Yahweh. It will be utterly decimated. And notice, Jesus does not spare us the, the details. He gives it all to us, and he gives it very plainly. God's judgment will bring desolation. desolation. It will bring vengeance. It will bring distress. He says, alas for those women who are pregnant and nursing in those days. He says, for God's wrath will descend and many, many will face the edge of the sword. They will be trampled under the feet of the Gentiles. This invading army will come. It will destroy in short, Jesus says, it will be, as we've said, a terrible, unimaginable day. Friends, in fact, it was. Again, last week I referenced Josephus, the Jewish historian from the first century, and he details all of this in his history, in the history that he wrote. Uh, and I'm not going to give you all of his details because they are terrible, but I'm going to give you some of them. He says that, that when the emperor's son, Titus, laid siege to Jerusalem, it was a siege that lasted six months. And as you can imagine, it was not long before the food supply ran short to the point where people were in the streets eating dust. There were reports of human sacrifice, of extreme suffering, of even cannibalism in the city there. By the time that the Romans actually broke through the walls, they were met with little to no resistance at all. Uh, but that didn't stop them from killing. Uh, according to Josephus, almost a million Jews and imprisoning thousands of others. Now those numbers are, are, are disputed, but the simple fact is, is it was many, 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 many. It was terrible. It was complete. And friends, what I want you to recognize, as hard as this is, is it was God's judgment. Yes, the, the Romans were the means by which it came, but there is no doubt who set these events into motion. There is no doubt who was in control here. It was the holy and righteous God of Israel, the judge of all the earth. Now, as difficult as that is to read and to listen to, 
You know, we could very easily rationalize this away by saying, well, well, that's terrible. But, you know, the Jews had, by 70 A.D., they had put Jesus to death, right? They did reject the Messiah who, to, who was to come. So certainly the judgment that God sent them, it was justified. But, but thankfully, thankfully, that was then, and now we are here, and we're past such things, you know? God is, is just loving now. He's just going to sort of let all of these things slide. And so we don't have to worry about this sort of picture. This was then. And now this is different. Well, friends, turn with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 19. John, as he concludes his book, comes to the conclusion of his book. He says, then I saw heaven opened. This is in verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepresses of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army, and the beast was captured, and with it the false prophets who was in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fury that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. What happened to Jerusalem in 70 A.D.? Friends, it was a precursor. It was a, a small glimpse into the reality of the coming judgment where no longer will it be a foreign army who is the means by which God brings his judgment, but God himself will ride. He will come. Jesus, the warrior, he will come in judgment. And what he will bring with him will be far more terrible than anything that was experienced there in Jerusalem, there in 70 AD. It's a day when all things will be consumed by fire. It will be a terrible day God's vengeance. Secondly, in this passage, I want you to notice that the day of judgment is a day that will not be missed. It will not be missed. Now, given all that we have said, that's a fairly obvious statement. Uh, but notice there in verse 25, 
that Jesus does affirm that there will be signs leading up to that day. He says there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. There will be distress in the nations, that the seas and the waves will, will roar and foam. People will be fainting with fear, with foreboding of what is coming. Even the heavens, the heavens themselves will be shaken. Now, it's often in these types of things that, that they, they get us caught up, these, these signs, and we, we get ourselves in trouble with our interpretations of them. Even now, some of us hear these words and we say, hey, that sounds pretty familiar to us, right? People are, are scared to death. We see signs in the heavens and the stars. We see the seas and the waves. We see all of these things. Certainly, they are there. But I would warn us about taking these signs uh, too far. Uh, the, the truth is, is these types of things, the distress, the, the natural disasters, they have been the reality since Jesus ascended to his Father. Christians in the first century, Christians in every century have seen signs of the times. And so I would submit to you that rather than being an indication of when the end will come, these signs are a constant reminder that the end is indeed coming. It's coming. That's why he says, straighten up. That's why he says, raise your heads. In these signs, be reminded, have assurance that in verse 27, the Son of Man will appear. That he will come with great power. That he will come with great glory. No, we can't say with any certainty when that day will be. Christ didn't, at least in his human mind, he didn't even know when that day would be. But we can say with certainty that he is coming. And friends, no one, no one will miss it. No one will be able to say, Lord, we didn't see, we didn't hear, we didn't see your signs He gives them, he reminds us of them here. But then I would also remind you of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And in verse 16 he says, For the Lord himself, he will descend from the heaven. And will he come with, with a whisper? Will he come quietly? No. It says he will come with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. God will not be missed. No one will have an excuse on that day. All will bow in His presence. It's a day that will not be missed. Thirdly, in this passage, I want you to notice that it's a day that will not be changed or avoided. And you see that there in the parable of the fig tree. Now, as in terms of Jesus' parables, this one is, uh, is easy enough for us to understand. Uh, you see that when the trees begin to bud, we know that, that spring and summer is coming. For us right now, we look out and we see the trees are changing. So we know that fall and winter is coming. And Jesus says in the same way, when you see these signs, know that the kingdom of God is near. It's near. Now, the problem, of course, is what does near mean? mean. And that becomes even more difficult when, in verse 32, Jesus says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away till all of these things has taken place. 
This is one of those verses that, that is much debated. There are as many interpretations as there are people uh, walking around on the face of the earth. Uh, and some think that, that what Jesus has in mind here, he's speaking to the disciples and he's saying, none of you will pass away before all of the events in the temple and on Jerusalem have taken place, right? Uh, you will, this generation will see the temple destroyed. They will see Jerusalem destroyed. Others believe that Jesus here is speaking of early Christians in general, just the beginning of the end times. They're going to see all of this begin to take place. Others think that Jesus is speaking specifically of the Jewish race here, that, that they will see the destruction of all these things they've put their faith in. Then others think that that word generation, uh, that it can describe a group of people uh, with a similar spiritual condition. So uh, in Genesis 6, Jesus say, or God says of the, the people in Noah's day that it's an evil generation, right? That whole generation is described that way. Um, Paul says that, that we live in a, a present evil age, and he clearly has in mind a long period of time, not just the immediacy of it. And then, of course, God in Psalm 14, 5, he, he says he is with the, the generation of the righteous. He is with his people. Now, in the final analysis, we're not going to be able to, to figure this verse out in the time that we have today. I would espouse to you that, that last interpretation, but as I said, there are men far smarter than me who would say otherwise, and so y'all are smart people. I will leave you to it. But the point is here is it's hard to know with certainty exactly what Jesus was saying. Clearly, he did not mean that the disciples' generation would, would be alive when Jesus came back, right? We can say that with certainty because they were not alive when Jesus, at least physically alive when Jesus came back, when he comes back. But what is clear, and this is what I really want us to, to take away here, what, what is uh, easy enough for us to understand is that everything he has said up until this point, everything he has said about the end times, those things will take place. Verse 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Even if it takes a million years, even if all seems lost, even if we try to change it, if we, even if we try to avoid it, uh, look down there in verse uh, 34 at the second half. He says, uh, and that day will come upon you suddenly, like a trap, even if you're not looking for it, even if you're not aware, it's coming. Verse 35, for it will come upon all, not some, not a few, all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. It cannot be avoided. All of these things will come to pass. The day of judgment is sure, and it's sure because Jesus has said it. The kids pick at me because I say a lot of the same things every time in our worship service, right? And I say, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Jesus is reminding us of that truth here. He has said it, and so it will not change. It will come to pass. And so, the day of judgment, it's terrible. The day of judgment will not be missed the day of judgment will not be changed or avoided. 
Now, all of this brings us back to where we started, back to verse 34, back to that exhortation of watch yourself. And I said at the beginning, if we had ears to hear, and if we had any amount of self-awareness, then, then our feelings right now, the feelings that we have as we read a passage like this, they would reveal much to us about where we stand this morning. And so I ask you, how are you feeling right now? Given the view of God's terrible vengeance, knowing that, that we won't be able to say, oh God, we missed it all, we missed your signs. Give us another chance. There won't be that opportunity. Knowing that, that all of this is unavoidable and unchangeable, how do you feel right now? What's your response to that sure knowledge? Is it fear? Is it terror? Let's admit that there's a sense where this should be terrifying, particularly if you are not resting in Christ today. Look, my, my goal here is not fire and brimstone. This is not judgment house. I'm not trying to sway your emotions in any way. I'm simply trying to give you the facts of Scripture. This is what's coming. It's terrible. For all who remain in sin, it will be a terrible day. I know that the world tries to, to rein our God in. They try to make him this sweet and simple grandpa that sits up there and just, you know, just loves us and bestows gifts on us, and that's it. Friends, he will not be reined in. He is the all-consuming fire. Christ is the line of Judah. That one that Mr. Beaver says to Lucy in the line of the witch in the wardrobe. No, he's not a tame lion. But he's good, right? He's not tame. He will judge sin and it will be terrible. The full wrath of God will be poured out and no one, not a single one, will be able to stand against it. If you don't know Jesus today, if you are not looking to him for salvation then fear is not the wrong emotion to feel. Friends, here's the good news. Fear is not the emotion that you have to feel today. And here's why. That terrible judgment, that's sure to come, in one sense it has already come. At Calvary, God the Father, in an act of unimaginable sacrifice and mercy, He poured out that wrath. The wrath that our sins deserve. The sins of His people. He poured them out. Every drop on His Son. On Jesus. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All of these horrible things that we've read of. All of these horrible things that we see that will be coming. Jesus, he took them all. He took them in his body on the cross. He was cut off so that we might not have to be. So that we could read of this coming day. We could read of it without trepidation. We could read of it without fear. We could face... Days like we're going to face, that I'm going to face this afternoon. The, the death of someone that I love dearly. And go to a graveside. We can face it. 
with sweet and unshakable assurance. Because in Christ, there's hope and there is victory. And there is not coming judgment, but there is glory, eternal glory, resting in Him. We are not afraid because in Psalm 46, He is our refuge and strength. We're not afraid because in Isaiah 43, when the waters get high, they won't overcome us. When the fires are near, we won't be burned because our God who called us and who saved us, He is with us and He will not let us go. And so, in response, instead of fear, how do we act? He says, be ready. Verse 28. Know when these things begin to take place. Straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Verse 36. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. And then, of course, verse 34. Watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. Anticipating, knowing, looking forward to the day when Christ will return to gather His sheep, when He will return to call us into the air with Him, as 1 Thessalonians says. We will, when He will return to, to usher us in to an eternity with Him. He's calling us here to live as what we proclaim with our mouth, to live like all of those things are true. Friends, know that the interval time, as we await, as we await His return, it's, it's, it may not be fun. And it certainly will not be easy, but we are not overwhelmed. We are not shaken. We will not fear because our God does not waver. His word does not change. He has revealed that to us here. He will be with us. That's the gospel. Jesus went to so great a lengths so that we can say right now, He will be with us to the very end. And so I'll read to you as we close from Revelation 22 and in verse 20. John says, He who testifies to these things says, this is Jesus speaking, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, as we get this glimpse into future things, Lord, it is not a pretty picture that you paint for us. And yet, Lord, it is the truth of what sin deserves, of what is coming, the wrath of God revealed against all unrighteousness. And Lord, I pray that if there are those who do not know you as their Savior, that they would feel the full weight of what that means. Don't let us water it down. Even now, I feel like I have watered it down. Lord, let's don't do that. Let's see it in all of what it is. And Lord, call, help us. Help us to, to rest in the only means of salvation. Help us to look to Jesus. And Lord, for those of us who are resting in Christ, knowing that this is the sure reality of what is to come, Lord, may we live 
as your people. May we be ready, watchful, watching ourselves, watching for you. Lord, may we go out with the gospel. Lord, people have no idea what they are about to face. They need you. We are the means by which you go out into the world. So, Lord, make us faithful to take this gospel out. Lord, we pray that many would come to know Jesus as their Savior. Lord, as your people, we do look forward to that day where he will come, where he will reign victorious forever and ever. So we say, come, Lord Jesus, come soon. It's in his name we pray. Amen.